The fact that emotional processing precedes conscious awareness and colors your conscious thought in ways you aren't aware of, that happens. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs, we don't we see We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between, between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Diet Soap is a Sublation Media podcast. John Bunch, you are also known as the Reverend Milton John Bunch. Sometimes, yes. John Milton Bunch is what I should say. Different incarnations. You are our secret uh, Florida swamp backer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, some people have Peter Thiel in the background. We have you um, pulling right. the strings in the background. That's right, pulling the strings. And nobody knows my particular <laughs> political affinity. They really well, don't, right? It's a right. little bit obscure because if you read my social media stuff, which is I don't do as much as a lot of people, it's kind of all over the place and you don't really know, right? And I like it that way. Right. That's it. it I feel like what you're doing, have you ever heard of the game Illuminati? Yes, of course. Well, so, well, the game Illuminati, no. I know the book, the Robert There was the, a card uh, game. R-E-W book, but no, that's was a card game. Us. It's kind of like magic. You know, yeah, yeah, magic yeah. Card. Magic the Gatherings. I know what yeah, that is. Yeah, yes. yeah. So this was a card game called the Illuminati, and what you do is you would collect um, uh, secret societies and institutions and agencies and sometimes countries in, in your deck. And so you would have... and you didn't always have to have the secret societies that were aligned. There were some, it would be worthwhile as a strategy to have aligned secret societies. So you get to do certain maneuvers if you had everyone aligned, but at the same time, if you had a whole bunch of uh, oppositional groups in your control, then that gave you a lot of maneuverability. So I feel like, I don't know which, which strategy you're working with when it comes to your quest for world domination do you have a whole bunch of oppositional groups in your in your deck of cards or are you all, all getting them all aligned let's not question. answer that question yeah it's a good question um oh, i don't know how much i can really disclose about all of you know all of the uh backstory <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah no the forces are aligning as i anticipated they would yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear that. So uh to get to what this conversation is about, we we've been debating whether or not I'm a scientifically illiterate uh or to the degree to which um idealist marxists and socialists of various type have types have a um misconception of what the human being is and and uh sure. hold on to a kind of an idealized hyper rational subject like we all we think oh everyone sits down and at the end of the day they're a philosopher in the evening and they they make arguments within their own head and with each other and then they calculate what their resources are and they try to determine the truth and they arrive at the truth and then they act on that that's what you think that we think that people do i i think i i 
can't, I don't want to say we as in everyone, but certainly some part of that we, absolutely. Yes. Like Ashley and I would like to pretend that maybe we do that, perhaps, right? Or that uh, some of our, that we would like it if everyone did that. That would be, I would say I would like it if everyone sat down and tried to think through what they actually believe, debate it with each other, and act on what they come to think is true. I think that would be a great world. I, I can't argue with that. Yeah. But I know that people don't or that it's difficult and it's di more difficult for some people than others. And it, it, so this is what we're going to talk about. There was an article in Sublation called Evolutionary Subjectivity. Yeah. Um, and we want to get Charles Roseman on uh, in the future. Maybe all three of us, maybe just you and he can yeah. discuss it. But what is your are you, you are for your pro evolutionary psychology? Yes, you may. I could talk about that. I actually had a very yeah, good. Yeah. I, I would encourage people to read the uh, Twitter exchange I had with Charles Roseman. Mm -hmm. I was uh, pretty brutal. Did you read I'll, that, Doug? By it. the way, I, I I looked through it, but I'll link to it in the. I, uh, I was a little somewhere. brutal. I, I, here's I'll tell you, it's an interesting story. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know who he was, and I you know read the article, and it, it just. I really, it, it really triggered me. I'm telling you, it, it triggered me. I was triggered. So I, uh, you know, I, well, as you, the other sublation people know, I sort of, um, you know, was talked about, well, I railed to you guys about it and I was mm -hmm. going to write, well, got 5k into a response to it, 5k mm -hmm. words into a response to it. That's great. And then, uh, then Roseman posted, tweeted about it. And I replied to his tweet and just really ri ripped him one on the tweet, you know, mm. went overboard. Right. It was a little, it was a little unfair, but it was Twitter and that's just, mm. you know, it's Twitter. Mm. So, um, he responded and then we, we actually got into a civil discussion again on Twitter, which is kind of shocking, but it, it mm -hmm. was a civil discussion. And in the end, I, I think it, I think it would be a very good. I think if anyone reads his article and then reads my volatile response to it and then follows that Twitter thread, it's pretty instructive. I think in the and then we had a we DM'd each other, talked about it, and I think we came to a pretty good agreement. I mean, I, I think he understands what my position is, and probably I can't speak for him, but I think he, uh, you know, more or less. I think that if we were to sit down and have a further conversation like you and I are having now, we would agree much more than we disagree. So, and he understood my point. He understood the point I was making. So what do you, but what, what do you think it is about evolutionary psychology that makes um, or leads many people on the left to react so negatively against it? Okay. So there's a couple of things. One is, and this isn't just about people on the left. People of and I, and by the people on the left, I don't mean all people on the left. I mean there are sort of some leftist. I don't want to say there's some leftist affinity groups, right? I I don't know that you can really call. Uh, I I don't know that it makes much sense anymore in the age of social media to talk about theory so much as affinity groups, but that's mm -hmm. a different story altogether. Um, uh, certain leftist left affinity groups i think have a, a very difficult time with it um others not so much you know and so i don't want to say it's everyone on the left mm -hmm. the but one of the issues for any political theory left right or anywhere is just that 
you have to have some perspective, some concept of the individual, who the individual is, the nature of the individual, right? So no one wants to deny, you know, well, I haven't used the term human nature yet, but we'll probably eventually get there. So everyone has to have some concept of the, of the individual, who the individual is, what the individual is, what constitutes the individual, right? To what extent is there something unique within the individual that mitigates the social, for example, right? So we know we are social creatures, cultural creatures, uh, interdependent on other humans and so on, right? That I don't, that's clear. But within that, to what extent is there an individual who is unique from all other individuals, regardless of any social or cultural or environmental influence, right? In other words, if we had two people, right, and uh, they were to experience exactly the same social conditions, would they react to them in the same way? You know, would they both thrive in them? Would they both perceive they had freedom in them, right? Um, or is there something unique within the individual that has an impact? So um, to me, that is sort of an empirical question. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, or at least it's a, it's a fat claim one way or the other, you know? And uh, so if you are some, you know, if, if, and we don't really know the answer to it, right? I mean, to be honest, if we take kind of a scientific approach to it, we can say that the evidence points one way. I mean, I would argue the evidence points to uh, some individuality. I think most people who looked at it probably would, but even if we don't look at the scientific evidence, I think we have to at least say that we don't know. It's an unanswered question. So we have to leave room for it in any political theory. Um, and when a political theory or when someone's uh, belief in a political theory is such that it can't, it can't accept challenges or it, it, can't, it has no room to shift its definition of the individual, then uh, it will try to erase the individual, right? It, the individual is no longer important. What's important is this particular collection of social changes, whatever it is. And I mean, this is left wing, right wing. It's, it's essentially the same thing here, right? So mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, if, if I have a particular social program in mind or, or I have this model, this political model of the way the world works, um, call it an ideology, whatever you will, if I have this particular model or, or, or you know, picture in mind of, of these, you know, cause and effect relationships about how the world works and why this thing happens and that thing happens and what should happen. If, um, I, if that depends on a particular conception of the individual, then I'm, I don't have room to allow for an actual free individual, right? If that individual is other than what I think it is. Right. And I think evolutionary psychology and, other fields like it, right, that try to uh, measure and understand things about uniqueness and things about uh, what drives people to think the way they think and, and feel the way they feel, experience things the way they do. Um, I, I think fields like that uh, um, offer the, they, they at least question or they, they at least state the premise that we don't really know the answer to this. There could be unique stuff there, right? Um, and that's threatening in itself. Now, when those fields then come back and say, hey, guess what? 
we found that there's some, you know, we found that there in fact are unique, you know, there, there is some, uh, there's some good evidence to suggest that there are in fact, you know, physiological differences between people that are in fact innate and do in fact impact their experience of the world, including things like, uh, the way they approach politics, morality, you know, um, well, that's real threatening, right? Because now you've got, you know, now you've got actual empirical evidence that there's some processing happening inside that individual that mitigates whatever it is society does, right? So if that's the case, then it becomes difficult, right, to make a claim that any particular change in conditions is going to have any particular effect because now you've got more than one kind of individual, right? Now you've got individuals who respond to those changes in more than one way. And that complicates things, right? I mean, this complicates. And again, I don't want to pick on any particular theory on the left uh, because the left is no more or less guilty of this than in, you know, any other sort of paradigm. It's just, you know, um, so it's just mm -hmm. the, the nature of it, I guess. Can I, can I, respond because i i definitely um there are a couple of things i would question in what you've said not that i don't believe that there are individuals and that biology makes a difference and you can see that for instance look some people um are born and they grow to be five feet tall and some people are born and they grow to be seven feet tall and that could be influenced by the environment you know, they could be raised in a box that only has five feet or of course. something like that. But or, or there's poor nutrition, or but you know, where there's a lot of evidence that height has some, you know, it comes from your genetic inheritance off uh, to a large degree. And we, and I'll just grant you that. Hmm. And there are a number of things, many things that are like that. Um, so uh, I, that I don't have a problem with that. What, what I have a problem with is the idea that all political theories have to start with a theory of the individual. Oh, I don't think that's true, and here's why I say that. I think that there are, there are political theories, pre-modern ones, that don't emphasize the individual, but emphasize where, uh, how, let's say, God wants to divide up a, a society and what kinds of people there are, but not what um, is the character of and the, the level of variability within individuals. Just focus on the different attributes and capabilities of individuals arises as a problem in a society that uh, presupposes that every individual has equal rights. Every individual has the obligation to participate as a citizen in society, and every individual is ultimately... Uh, an end and not a means. Th those are so. So I don't disagree with you that we should be concerned with the individual. But what I would say is we should also recognize that when we turn to the individual as being at the center of our politics, we have arrived at modernity and we are being very modern. And that isn't a bad thing at all. That's actually what I would. I would definitely support that, but we should also realize that it is a kind of accomplishment to even start with the individual in your political theorizing. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. And I, 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 
to clarify, I, I'm not, my intent is not to put the individual at the center of the political theory, but it is to at least carve out space for the individual, it, at least carve out space so that if you're, I mean, especially, in the, I mean, if you're going to have a kind of emancipatory politics, you, you've got to have some idea of the thing you're emancipating, right? I mean, so, so, um, right. So, so it's not that the whole thing, it's not that all politics or all society has to surround the individual, but the society does have, I mean, whatever the goals of the society are, right. Or whatever the goals of the theory are, mm -hmm. there has to be some appreciation for how it's going to deal with the fact that people may experience things, people will experience things, same thing in different ways. So, you know, I, I don't have a solution to that. And this is another thing I, you know, want to make clear when you talk, I mean, often, and you know, I, I don't, I'm not a book author and I don't have a long series of publications where people can read my own political philosophy, but, um, uh, what was I going to say there? Which is um, a good thing because if they did have yeah, that capacity, a, like, right. then you wouldn't be able to secretly in the shadows. Oh, that's the it. Pull the strings. That's true. Yeah, so, yeah. so, um, yeah, what I was going to say was that, uh, uh, you know, I don't have a particular political theory or philosophy that I am pushing. In other words, I'm not, and this, and a lot of times when I talk to people, this gets, you know, it, immediately people want to pigeonhole you. Oh, you're a this, you're a that, you're, you know, you're a, well, you're a communalist. You're, you know, you're a this, you're, a, no, I not really don't intend to be anything. Um, the only point I'm making here is just that, you know, any theory has to account for the individual. Um, I, yeah. So, and, and again, my general background regarding political theory and political sort of sectarianism, I guess, is that I don't think that anybody, any theory, any theorist has anywhere near enough of a, uh, has a, a valid enough model to say that someone is a this or a that. So, to, you know, to, to, to sort of adopt as a, as a ideology. So my perspective is we just don't know enough. Um, the only thing we can really do is try to sit down and think about things. Uh, and it doesn't make much sense. I think it's counterproductive to sort of pick a theory and then filter the whole world through it. To me, you have to, which is what a lot of people do. To me, you have to start with the idea that, you know, you really don't know. You know, you don't understand the phenomenon of society. You don't understand the phenomenon of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, political change over time. Uh, we can tell ourselves we do and we can, uh, you know, but we really don't. So and unless you've got that kind of, I mean, I think people need that sort of intellectual humility in order to be able to look at, you know, real events in the real world and history and, and make sense of it. Uh, so, you know, without, well, my little rant about it but yes yeah, so that, i totally the, agree that's totally kind of position i'm coming from on it so i'm mm -hmm. not so just the point is i'm i don't have any particular political axe to grind when i defend evolutionary psychology i guess that's where i was going with all this yeah yeah so i mean so like when i first encountered evolutionary psychology as a as a uh <clears throat> as, a, as a, a set of ideologies you know um I, you know, I was pretty old already. I think I was in my early 40s, maybe late 30s, but probably early 40s. So not maybe a decade ago. And um, the people I 
ran into uh would have been people like gad sad <laughs> uh, you know um who else would it have been? maybe steven um, pinker steven pinker yeah and yeah. you know a bunch of people who were making uh feminists very upset <laughs> um yeah. they would say things like look there's a kind of female body that men are attracted to for for, for reasons of evolutionary psychology and this is what the ratios are. We've done the research. And if you don't have that, then, you know, look, I'm a short man. I'm squat. I'm, I'm fat. I, you know, I, I feel you. But in fact, I'm not the type that women find attractive. You may not be the type that men find attractive. And we just have to live with it. Um, and feminists were <laughs> up in arms about that, I guess. Um, uh, and I d thought about th that at the time. And wondered why are we needing for biology to solve our love lives for us like why can't why do we why you know like yeah i i i'm nearsighted so i have glasses maybe you don't have the perfect female form according to evolutionary psychology so you know get a dress that looks good on you and and develop other strategies to win over mates and things like that or you know and and is mating really the center of everything and also is the problem that we're encountering between the sexes really down to evolutionary psychology isn't maybe that's not the level where we can't we neither need to deny evolutionary psychology nor turn to it to solve the social problem. so what you're saying is perhaps evolutionary psychology does not provide the theoretical foundation on which a society should be built is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm saying that we should take it into account, but um, sure. another example would be Jordan Peterson the years later was talking about how Jordan if lobster. you look, it's not the lobster. No, it's some um, other studies. I think it was Sweden. When you, when you look to gender roles in societies, what you'll find is that those societies which have provided the most support uh, to women and are the most and have the most parity or equality between the sexes are the ones where there's the most differentiation between the genders in terms of uh, the kinds of jobs people seek. So if, uh, if you are in a very patriarchal authoritarian society like Iran, you'll find men and women both are really struggling to get into the sciences. But in Sweden, a more affluent society and one where there's more uh, gender equity, women tend to go into the caring professions much more. And I don't, I don't have any problem believing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And men are more likely to be engineers or want to work with their hands. And that has to do, he says, with evolutionary psychology, with the way in which men and women are different for biological reasons, not just in terms of their physicality in terms of their height or muscle mass but also down to the ways in which they are likely to perceive and and interact with the world what they're biologically driven to be psychologically and so um uh, what my thought about that was was that's probably no problem why should the caring professions be um looked down upon or uh, have less social status than other professions. Um, and also, uh, and, but also maybe this division between 
engineering and the caring professions is a bit artificial. Like maybe the what we think is a natural fact that there's the sciences and there's the caring professions is mm, maybe those divisions will look different in a, in 20 years, let alone in a hundred. Um, so we should be careful to what conclusions we reach. But on the other hand, I'm not at all allergic to the data describing what is happening now. Um, right. So if you want to get more women into the sciences, you know, uh, that goal may not be that goal may be politically suspect from the start. That may not be a good way to measure the emancipation yeah. of women. Here, look, here's the thing about this. All right. OK, the the data you describe, the data mm -hmm. itself doesn't really have anything to do with evolutionary psychology. Evolutionary psychology is just the way that data is interpreted, right? So right. the thing that distinguishes evolutionary psychologists from other psychologists and from other people that research, research this kind of stuff is that they appeal to evolutionary forces to build explanatory models and theory, right? So this is what I was talking to Charles Roseman about. And, you know, you can make a good, I mean, and, and Roseman is a, he's an evolutionary biologist, right? He, and he's, you know, so he's an expert at that. And he can make, I'm sure, a good scientific argument against that kind of evolutionary interpretation of the data, right? Mm -hmm. Almost certainly can be done, or at least I'm not an expert in biological evolution, but I'll make the assumption that somebody who is can make a good legitimate scientific criticism of the evolutionary part of evolutionary psychology, right? That mm -hmm. still doesn't change the fact that we find this, you know, we find this uh, data that says, hey, guess what? There might be some difference in, in career appeal between males and females that has nothing to do with society, right? Maybe mm -hmm. there is some biological difference, right? Do you really need, do you have to, do you have to explain it with evolution for it to piss people off or, you know, no, I mean, it, it's just the fact, it's just what it is. The fact well, wait, that, what, what other biological explanation would there be? Well, okay. Um, so here, here, another point. All right. There are, I don't know. There, there, I mean, you would think that it would come from evolution, right? That makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe it does. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just saying it, that's one theory, one way to explain it. Well, I mean, obviously it comes from evolution. What I think the, evolu the, the, the evolutional, evolutionary psychology part is, I think people would talk about, I think, that somebody would, in order for it to be evolutionary psychology, someone would have to produce a theory that pointed to some particular evolutionary process that led to it, right? Now, maybe they can do that, right? Now, they have to provide it as a testable theory, right? Maybe they can do that. Maybe they can't. I'll let people like Charles Ro Roseman evaluate it. But whether they provide that evolutionary, you know, whether, whether someone finds a compelling evolutionary explanation or not, the difference is still there. It came from something, you know, so it's, it's real. It's not, you can't simply dismiss it as the outcome of a patriarchal society or or rather, you can't simply dismiss it as the outcome of an oppressive society, right? So mm -hmm. it, it interferes with a particular kind of, you know, it's 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 an example of political theory not making room for understanding of the individual. Maybe there are biological differences between males and females, and maybe they do influence 
the affinity somebody has for a career, for the kinds of things they like, the intellectual pursuits they 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 enjoy. Maybe there is an, a, a sex-based difference, right? There could be uh, that you know, and if there is, then you're going to see, you know, in a free society, you're going to see females tend to do one thing, males are going to tend to do the other. It mm -hmm. whether you give that, you know, whether you tie that to some some evolutionary mechanism, it's hardly the point. So, you know, this is another thing. That's another reason why, you know, I think evolutionary psychology is an easy punching bag because it's easy to say, oh, it's just a bunch of just so stories, you know? And mm -hmm. okay, well, first, if they, if the evolutionary psychologist has stated their idea, their theory in a testable way, then it's not a just so story. It's a testable theory. If the theory gets, you know, if people test it and turns out no, it doesn't really support that data, then, you know, that got to change it right or reject it or whatever mm -hmm. so so but i mean you could give a just so story and it's easy to do that and people like jordan peterson are famous for doing it right mm -hmm. you know his example of uh uh giving of the uh saying we you know we well we found out that there's serotonin in lobsters and lobsters have this you know and it varies with this lobster social hierarchy therefore capitalist hierarchies in human society are not are natural right well that's that's a just so story, right? It's, you know, mm -hmm. I was saying, okay, it's, uh, it, it could and, be. And, and a lot of problems, a lot of problems with what Jordan Peterson says happens on both sides. Like, first of all, to what extent is hierarchy, um, which he's trying to argue for, a really um, at the center or a, a defining characteristic of capitalism? I, I'm not so sure that it is, well, right? We have, a, a higher do we always have to have a hierarchy in order to produce capital i don't think we do so there's that problem and then the other problem is the science but let me ask you this i want to ask you something that gets to the heart of one of the difficulties i have with evolutionary psychology and i've never quite been able to express it before and, and i want your answer to, the, to this and i'd be glad to to uh, be convinced and like be told have my uh, misunderstanding or fears assuaged um because I see psychology itself as being produced socially as a field um, out of modernity and the, and the emphasis on the individual, right? You didn't need to worry about individual human psychology or the inner world of, of people when they didn't have any way to participate in society beyond whatever station they were born into. So you didn't worry about their psychic mm -hmm. structure so because I see psych psychology as basically bourgeois, mm. when we look to evolutionary psychology, I worry that we're taking this um, psychological character of humanity back in time to like caveman days. As, um, and I just wonder to whether or not evolutionary, if just evolution itself might be more worthwhile because it, at that stage a certain stage in human development or what would become human development we're talking about animals with instincts and no social no social life as we understand it because that includes minds and and individuals as we understand it or or if not our own individual minds and uh, the mind of god or some divine you know some sort of cultural animal but so it might be pre-culture um 
or or maybe we should talk about evolutionary sociology instead because we want to find out there is a field yeah right right so we want to find out what evolutionary forces were uh had an impact on the the success rate of social groups and social formations and what kinds of we could say oh the reason these religions uh have lasted is because of evolution um you know in this or these forms of government are more resilient because of evolution um and then and then i i wonder about how we would go about that it seems very difficult to to figure out well beyond my pay grade but um what do you think about this problem of that the that psychology itself presupposes a kind of person that it from my point of view it's really relatively uh, new to the scene. Okay. You know? No, no, okay. You're, yes and no. All right. Okay. Yes. In that the psychology, uh, first remember that psychology isn't really one thing, right? So when you refer to the field of psychology, um, there isn't really one whole field. So in other words, you can talk about like uh, clinical and, and the helping professions of applied mental health type psychology, right? That's mm-hmm. one thing. And then there's, you know, sort of laboratory scientific psychology, which is another. And within that, there are different branches. And then there are other applied areas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, psychology of organizations and, and corporation, you know, things like that. Right. I've done some work in that myself. And, uh, um, so it, it you got to be spe- specific, but to your point, I know exactly the area of psychology you're talking about, and your and your criticism is on target. I mean, when you think about the sort of uh, well, a lot of applied areas of psychology, right? Mm. It, it absolutely is. It does conceptualize or have this idea of a bourgeois subject and and those sorts. Of, I mean, that's accurate, right? And it did develop historically uh, within recent capitalist society, right? Absolutely. Mm. And and those forces drove it and make it what it is, right? Absolutely, 100%. And this is where this conversation starts to interface with Ashley Frawley's books, like uh, happy, uh, Semiotics of Happiness, right? Mm-hmm. In Semiotics of Happiness, she goes through and she does a really good job of talking about and demonstrating how these social forces, right, these current capitalist forces produce a kind of knowledge area in these helping psi sciences, psi disciplines that produce a knowledge area in these psi disciplines that, that support the, you know, bureaucratic or capitalist structure. Right. And, and that, that happens, that's historically how it developed. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I don't think I honestly can't imagine any psychologist that works in that area disagreeing with that Um, society has produced, I mean, a, a market evolved for a kind of uh, transactional uh, process, you know, consumer transactional kind of a process where you identify a problem, you go to the market for a solution, you you pay for it, and you get it, right? That's, yeah. so, I mean, a particular way of looking at the individual had to be developed to meet that market demand, and it did. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so you can look at accurately, and and I think few people would disagree. You know, you can look at at uh, the you know at well, you can look at clinical psychology, the applied practice of clinical psychology, 
uh, counseling psychology and other related mental health kinds of fields, you can look at them that way. That's not inaccurate. Um, so, but that's not the same thing as, I mean, but you know, that that's one area. Um, when you look at the, the science of psychology and what comes out of that, that's not, I mean, like all sciences, it's certainly, you know, it's always, it's all, it always has, what would you say? capitalist drivers that tend to shape it in certain ways. Uh, mm -hmm. There's, you know, note about, I, I would say though, I, you know, having seen a good bit of the way grants are written at universities for psychological research and things like that. Um, I don't think capitalism itself is necessarily the driving factor. Like a lot of leftist people on the left would say it is. I think it's a driving factor, but I swear to God, when you get into these big corporate structures, big bureaucratic structures like government, you know, big universities, big corporations and stuff like that, there's this kind of bureaucratic mentality and quest for power that transcends capitalist analysis. <laughs> and, it, and it comes into play here. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it comes mm. into play here and it starts to drive. <laughs> you know, the way people start to conceive of things and, and whatnot. Well, so, I'm not, I'm not saying that what's motivating the, the research is there's an element. There is to, an element. To, to accumulate capital. What I'm saying is we all have these sort of starting uh, assumptions that yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we aren't always aware of and one and, and which aren't always even bad. Like I think starting from the idea that, Individual subjectivity and power is important, is a good thing. But, but what politically. I politically and you can't start with that. Yeah, you can't say, okay, let's already assume basically that human beings have been free for all of human history, and uh, and have had this concept of freedom and this uh, and a social life that uh, supports their freedom from the very dawn of humanity, okay, from the very beginning. No, I don't know if that's true. I wouldn't say that other animals are free in quite the same way that I think humanity could be, right? Um, I'm not saying they couldn't become free, but it might take more than what I – more. it would take more than politics to get them there um, uh, for, you know, raccoons and things like that. Um, so what, what I'm saying is, like, when we think about evolution, if we – presuppose that the way human beings evolved was through the private decision making of free individuals and then we say what biological factors were there shaping those free independent decisions um we're presupposing something that we may not we should not presuppose that's sure. what i'm Starting that's with. not what I mean. Here, here's the way I'll tell you the way a research psychologist is going to look at this. This is the way I was mm -hmm. taught to do it. Okay, yeah, yeah, tell me. By, I mean, this way I was taught to do it by some, you know, relatively well known cognitive, cognitive psychologists who were part of the cognitive revolution. And anyway, um, so um, you, you know, first, this is post positivist, right? Way of epistemology, epistemologically. So you, you start with the assumption that you just don't know, right? and you, you attempt to make as few assumptions as possible about anything. 
So when you're studying, you know, cognition, the way people think, emotional processing, you aren't pre, you are not presupposing a particular subject, at least not in the way you are when you're talking about someone that comes into your office for counseling, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you know, you're looking at it. Suppose, um, you know, suppose you encountered a computer for the first time. You didn't know what it was, right? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to figure out how it worked. All right. You can't suppose it's anything, right? You can't, you just, you can't, you don't know what it is, right? Until you start to poke around in it, until you start to try things, do this to it and see what it does, do that to it and see what it does, you know, try to create something like it and see if it acts the same way, right? You, you don't know what it is. You can't make assumptions about what it is or how it works. So that's the approach you take. Right. When you start and then and then your your goal is to build a theory to explain something. Right. And you're not. And, and this is another issue there in scientific psychology. Right. This sort of area, And this spans a, a, a lot of uh, areas. You um, aren't making a holistic theory about all of the mind. I, I mean, there are people who do that. Right. But if you work on more of an experimental level you're trying to explain very specific phenomena and you're trying to build models of relatively specific phenomena. So it's not as if you're starting with this broad model of the person in society. And then you're saying, Oh, well, here's how, you know, <laughs> here's why, you know, when, when you give them them this list of words and this other list of words, they respond in X, Y, Z time here. And not, so, it, you know, it's, you're, you're starting from zero, right. And you're trying to say, okay, what can this thing be? And you're trying to, you know, build a testable theory and, 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 you know, go from there. It, and that approach has told us a lot, but it hasn't told us much, but in the broad scope of thing hasn't told us much. It haven't, hasn't given us a model of the whole person just doesn't exist, right? There is no scientific model of the mind, right? There are scientific approaches to studying the mind, but any scientific models of the mind that we have at, at present are anemic, right? They just, you know, we've got general ideas for the way it probably works. But, you know, I mean, you can, you know, you compare scientific psychology to something like uh, Lacan, for example, right? And this is why mm -hmm. I, I, I like, in, like Lacan. I mean, I'm not a Lacanian. I look at Lacan purely metaphorically. But I think it's a marvelous model because... It is a model of psychology, and it's explain, it explains anything, right? That's a model of a whole person, right? That's what a model of a whole person looks like. That's a whole person and a whole person in society. So, you know, Lacan, the, that model can explain anything, right? You want to understand why a character in a novel for, you know, behaved the way they did? <laughs> you can come up with a Lacanian explanation, right? You can't do that with science, <laughs> You know, we just don't it, it don't have models like that. Right. There are no scientific models that provide these big, you know, these broad cause and effect relationships and allow you to, you know, across contexts and domains and all this, you know, tie everything together. It just doesn't have, I mean, we could I you think, could you conceivably come up with a scientific approach that could do that? That could I, explain I everything eventually. The the, sure. Theoretically. Sure. But we're just nowhere near it. And here's the other thing about that. You know, by the time we figure it out, it could be we no longer care. You know, by the time we figure it out, it might be that that's just not a concern to us anymore. You know, if, I mean, 
the stuff that we studied, you know, the yeah. stuff that people worried about 10,000 years ago, you know, it's not the stuff we worry about now. So I'd imagine eventually. You know. Listen, we've, we've done about 42 minutes. I want to do another session for the patrons, but um, before we end this first half, I, I just want to ask you, um, do, do you, do you think I, I frequently when I'm talking to you will lead us to this question of like, I think it's called the demarcation problem. Right. And you just, to me, brought it up again. Like you said, I don't think of Lacan as a science. And I just want to know, like, how do you distinguish between like Freudian psychology and scientific? Okay. Approaches? Whether it's test, whether it makes testable predictions, whether, whether it builds theory that makes testable predictions. That's all. Lacan okay. doesn't do that. I mean, by, I mean, on, on, I mean, it, it doesn't intend to. I mean, didn't Freud think that he was basing it on a biological and testable he, scientific? Well, he, yeah. I mean, yes, but he also would have said that a lot. He also would have said we have no way of of testing the things I'm saying. Right. So, in other words, um, I mean, you know, there, Freud gave us a way of conceiving of the mind right that mm -hmm. um was useful you know across a lot of areas um it, it wasn't i mean like lacan i mean i think freud and lacan were here's what way i think of both of them is they were both practicing therapists right mm -hmm. so they both i mean what they did is people came in talked about their problems and you know, Lacan, Freud tried to help him, right? Try to figure out. So after seeing lots of patients, hearing lots of problems, hearing lots of life stories, right? They came up with a model that explains what they saw, right? Explained what they saw. Um, not just, you know, not just their own patients, but they, they, you know, read other stuff. Well, you know what I mean? They, they put it with the context of society and, and so on. So they, they built models, right, that, that explain these things, give you a way of thinking about these things um, that you need. You know, I mean, we, whenever we talk about um, politics or, or any social phenomenon, we, again, have to have some idea of, well, how do people fit in? How does the individual fit in this, right? How, does, how do people interact here? So, you know, Freud and especially Lacan will uh, potentially... Well, not especially, but you know, they they can help with that, right? And give you clues about that. Now, they're not science because they they don't produce testable theory. I mean, to the extent that they do, it fails, right? I mean, you know, I've brought up with people before, like Lacan's mirror phase. You know, he talks about how an infant, the importance of an infant seeing its reflection and creating mm -hmm. a sense of self identity, whatever the case it is, or not an infant, but small child. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. So, well, there's empirical evidence that just says oh, there's no such thing as that, right? But does that mean it's not a useful concept? Well, no, because it fits in with a bunch of other stuff Lacan says, which provides this, again, a way for us to talk about stuff, right? So Lacan and Freud provide us a way, a language for talking about human behavior and mental phenomena, right? Well, so, I mean, when, but the problem with the mirror stage, I was going to say something about that was the problem with the mirror stage is if Lacan is trying to create a trans historical th 
theory of the human mind after, let's say, the frontal lobe was evolved or whatever, um, to talk about the mirror stage is clearly a mistake because there weren't always mirrors, right? So how could there be a, a need for a well, mirror stage? You know, right. I mean, metaphorically, you could say that there was some kind of event where the, you know, the child recognized itself as distinct and so on. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so, so, but there just isn't any evidence for that. Right. I mean, there, there's been a lot of research on child development and so on over the, over the years, decades. And, and there just clearly, it just, there's not, that just, there's, it's not a real thing that happens, but it might be a real metaphorical thing. I mean, you know, there, a child does have to have a way of distinguishing itself from everything else and, and other people and, children do have to have a way of identifying who the dad is and the meaning of the dad and the mom. And those are things that have to happen. Right. And, and, you know, so, and when we need a way to talk about it, so yeah, you know, science, listen, and let's, science let's, just doesn't give it to us. So anyway, yeah, I don't know, I'm let's not leave it right there. And then, and we'll okay. talk about just what science is. In yeah. The yeah. We're talking about what science is. Yes. So, so I'm, right. I'm prefacing. So I, I went through all that just to, just to say, I'm not trying to say that it has to be science only. I'm trying to say it, I'm fully aware it can't be science only, but I do want people to be, have a, a, a real understanding of what science is and that it's not witchcraft and it's not trying to prove capitalism is natural. <laughs> so. Well, right. I totally understand that. All right. So I'm going to stop the stream here. I'm going to send you another link in just a minute here. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons help to make sure that Sublation Media can continue to provide interviews, videos, books, and articles that are critical of the left from the left. If you are tired of remaining stuck within bourgeois ideologies and politics, help us sublate them both.